right, hello everybody, and welcome back to the Art of Hospitality. We are digging in here on episode number 16. Scott, I'll pick on you first this week. How are you doing today? Good, good. It's been a good week. Spent some time over in Ocean City in Delaware this week. Caught some sunshine yesterday, which got me excited for our upcoming vacation to Myrtle Beach. So now I'm ready to just skip between now and vacation and just be on vacation. So it was good. And then always enjoy this time of year for getting some time out on my bike. So I get the opportunity to ride back and forth to work. So I put in about 30 miles a day, but it's a good way to clear my head and come at things straight. So all good and season's right around the corner, fellas. It's about to get time to get to work. Yeah, it feels that way. I went out on Sunday golfing and got a terrible sunburn on my arms thinking, oh, it wouldn't be that bad. So when you come down here to the Carolinas, bring your sunscreen. If you're like me, you get burned very easily. <laughs> For sure. Adam, I'm sure you've never got a sunburn before. How are you doing? It's amazing how well you get used to being in the sun by the end of the summer. We'll go out and we'll lather up in sunscreen as the summer starts here. But by the end of the summer, we're out there for hours with no sunscreen and it, it, you get used to it. So I guess there's something good in our future as we get towards the end of summer. My, my week's going great now. So I'll touch on the weekly sports update for all the listeners that care. It might just be my wife, but I'll give that update anyway. So this weekend is crazy. We've got two lacrosse games in Virginia. So I'll drive a couple hours north to go to a couple lacrosse games. And then I will come back to the Outer Banks to play a soccer game at night. So we'll have three games tomorrow, back to Virginia on Sunday for another soccer game. And then on Monday, I get to drive up to Maryland to come up for the quarterly business review for Del Mar, Casago Del Mar, as well as TAN. And there's a couple of good updates there. Scott mentioned that he was in Ocean City. There was some value to being in Ocean City. We were going up there to for a couple of reasons. One was to potentially locate a business development person for Casago Del Mar. And we think we've got a real good candidate. So I'm excited to talk with that person on Monday. And then Scott was also taking a look at some office space up there. So we're getting pretty excited. Hopefully we'll have a BD person in the market and we'll also have some signage up in Ocean City here real soon. Yeah, no, those are phenomenally exciting developments. And obviously the building part, I think, is why part of the reason why people tune in. So I think it's always good to share that. And obviously we do have a guest today that we're going to bring in here in just a moment. Tom, I'll go your direction. would love to welcome you and love to talk. I think we have a fantastic topic here today that I have some thoughts on too, how marketing even and revenue management kind of tied together. But Tom, we'd love an intro, a little background about yourself, if you don't mind. And then we always ask this to the guest. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me today. Appreciate it. Uh, my background was with Hilton Corporate Revenue Management. I've been in revenue management for over 20 years now. With Hilton Corporate, I was on the Hilton Executive Revenue Board. There was three revenue managers globally that consulted on revenue management. We came up at the time with a lot of length to stay pricing. That was the first of our generation to do it was Hilton. We're real strategic when it came to length to stay, pricing two, three, four, five, six, seven. Changed kind of the industry where then Marriott and then Starwood and some of the other IHG, some of the other brands start to follow some of the strategies we implemented. So we were always a front runner when it came to revenue management. We had a great team, had a great mentor. Um, so that was really exciting. Then went to a, a large management company where we had uh, oversaw sales and revenue. I had a sales team, about 150 sales managers, and then a revenue management team, about 25. We oversaw a lot of Hilton's, Starwood's, Marriott's, and then IHG properties, and then decided to leave and saw industry of vacation rental industry was untapped when it came to revenue management. 
Um, that has changed in the last three years. I've only been in this industry for three years now, but I've seen dramatic changes a lot faster, quicker, and the hotels changed when it came to revenue management. So we implemented a lot of strategies and processes with Casago. So we have close to 3,000 properties franchised and managed across the country, all of North America. Yeah, fantastic. And we always like to ask this question too. Is there a song, Tom, personally, that you think describes you best as we oh, talk about the numbers and stuff? Yeah, I mean, on the spot there. Yeah, <laughs> in my humblest opinion, I'll just say you're simply the best by Tina Turner. You got to be the best. You got to have some swag. When it, you got to have some swag when it comes to revenue, when you're talking pricing, and you got to try to outperform the competition. So I always like to, or at least strive to be the best I can at what I do. I love it. And no, Tom, no. that adds a new genre and a new artist to our Spotify list. So good Absolutely. work. Absolutely. Happy to do it. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's interesting. So you went from obviously the hotel side, the maybe like even the resort side over to the vacation rental world. And you mentioned a minute ago that obviously the maturation of this kind of discipline inside of vacation rentals over the past three years has been pretty the come up has been pretty fast. I guess I'd love to hear your perspective on how did you end up at Kasako? I'm assuming you could have had other opportunities with other hotel brands. Yeah, what, I did. What, I what actually, did we did really well with the management company. I actually took a, a break from all together, wanted to spend more time with the kids. And that got, it was great, but it got, got old pretty quickly, not having a real position. So I really saw what Steve Schwab was doing. I lived in Scottsdale and he was from Scottsdale. So I really studied his portfolio and saw all the units he had. He didn't really have a revenue management team at the time. And I, again, I had, we owned a few Airbnb or owned a few properties in Scottsdale. We Airbnb them and were real successful, probably top performers in Scottsdale, generated a lot of revenue and got in that way and saw what Steve was doing, saw a lot of untapped industry stuff. And again, it, the market, it's really changed. Now we have our own dorm conference. Who would have thought that four or five years ago? Yep. It, it changed a lot. So it's a very much of a growing industry where I'm glad I have a lot of experience when it comes to revenue management because there's always different trends, et cetera, that I can bring experiences from 9-11, 2008, 2009, the recessions, et cetera, how you deal with those, how you deal with when the economy's up, how you deal with the economy down and how to manage through all those processes. Tom, when did hotels start looking at revenue management? <laughs> That's a great question. Okay. Really? So airlines really were the revenue management starters of the industry. The Airlines really kicked it off. And then actually Hilton, Mar Marriott says they were first and then Hilton <laughs> says they were first, but, but it really started around 1995, 96. Wow. And then the hotels. So at the time, hotels would have, so individual hotels, so you would have 250 room hotels to 500, 700. At the time, usually hotels would have the front desk like a front desk manager that wore several different hats, doing the pricing, doing the strategies, coming up with just putting the, like the seasons out there and just forget it and go from there. The industry really grew. Starwood, which was at the time now owned by Marriott. I worked for Starwood Hotels at the time. We had W's, Weston's and Sheridan's. And I mostly oversaw Weston and W. We were, they were really committed to revenue management. They saw 
a lot of the things that were coming up in the industry. And they were committed to getting revenue managers on board at their property. Hilton and Starwood started it. And then I was with Starwood and then left for Hilton. But they were the first ones started it. In the last 10 years, you really would not, you would not go to a hotel without a revenue manager. Even a hundred unit property, there's a revenue manager. I, there's very seldom you might have the economy tier hotels might not have revenue management, but somebody's overseeing the pricing and strategy. It's too big of a competitive market when it comes to hotel rooms and how you sell them effectively. Yeah, it's funny. I'm airline guy before this, sure. right? We were, that, that was our deal, right? We had a whole group of them in there and they different, probably far different now, but they would change, they would be changing fares literally every 10 minutes, every 15 Absolutely. minutes, just constantly pushing and number crunching. But it's funny, you bring up 9-11, you bring up 2008, and it's funny. So, so 9-11, everyone knew that for what it was. When I was in the airlines, 9-11 was easy, right? No one was at the airport, right? And then you watch sure. this slowly build up where the flight that had four people on it yesterday had 10 people, right? And then 20 people, and then you could feel it build and all of it all the noise and all the anxiety, you could feel it go away. 2008, 2009 was the opposite. So in the airline side, it was the fuel, we called it the fuel crisis, right? If you were on the mortgage side, it was the mortgage crisis, right? But it was almost entirely opposite, right? Where you had tons of people, you just couldn't charge them enough to keep up with sure. fuel. Because by the time fuel made it to, to where it needed to be or where it was going to land, ship and sail, you had sold those tickets. So I think those two were difficult to balance, but I think the harder of all of them is when we hit a recession and I don't, it'll be interesting to get your thoughts yeah. on where we are now, because then it's not about a tangible thing that you can watch come back or a tangible thing that you need oil to settle, right? Or what have you. Now it's just this overwhelming price sensitivity, especially coming Absolutely. off of high. So what's that look like in your world, especially from your experience, making it through all these how do you think the recession plays into it? Or if we're in a recession or we're not in a recession, oh, what do you sure. think that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I'll go back for a moment, Scott, because you brought up some memories. You were talking 9-11, 2001. Probably a lot of the listeners might not know this, but the hotel industry really at that time, because demand was down significantly, we started the growth of the OTAs. So at that time, OTAs, really, you didn't give them inventory. So Expedia bag for inventory, hotels.com bag for inventory, Hotwire was just starting out, believe it or not, Priceline. Those, those OTAs were very minimal in the hotel industry, but they kind of show had a new way of selling your distress inventory and really talking to more and more to the hotel operators to sell their inventory. And at the time, the brands didn't have a clamp on it at all. Each brand, they would let, allow the individual hotels do what they want. So with contracts and stuff like that, and that started to change. But the, the growth of the OTAs actually really happened in, in, after 9-11, which was significant. Yeah. If we would have held our own, held our brand integrity throughout that whole time frame, 
the OTAs might not be as strong as they are today. Of course, we all know going through your website, your brand is going to be the most profitable reservation you can get. Some of the Expedia's, et cetera. I remember like some hotels would give them more margin, et cetera, just to get first page placement, et cetera. So that's happening still today, but not on the level it was. So they, the hotels today accept the, them who they are. They have brand margin agreements, et cetera. But uh, speaking about the recession, if are we in a recession today, we feel 2023 is definitely not on par with 2021, 2022, where there was dramatic results in the industry. Our numbers grew dramatically from past years. So 2023, we think, is more, you look at it as more of a mature performance from an industry that recovered, recovered very quickly. And now, you know, you're trying to go after your 2022 numbers, 2021 numbers. We're starting to talk a little bit about 2019 numbers again, evaluating where the industry is going. We know that supply had a record-breaking year last year, growth-wise. Supply this year is down. We anticipate it being down for 2023, supply grew around 25% last year. We anticipated being close to 5%. Part of that, of course, is with interest rates being so high today, your profitability on purchasing a home today and getting a great profit margin compared to when you purchase the home, it, it comes into play. So we know supplies slowing, but demand slowing too. So demand last year, supply started outpacing demand. Where this year, demand, because demand is down, even though supply is down, it's on a similar level. Each market is different. For, for us, we get a competitive advantage because we can see so many different markets that we're involved in. And every market is, it trends differently. Um, and we recognize that. And how do you react to those trends is important. Yeah. Yeah. So to that thread, I guess, with the differences between the two, I feel like the obvious challenge between hotel and vacation rental, I do have some clients in both next to the woods, although I have many more vacation rental clients, is my hotel clients always just talk about room types. Hey, this is a queen room and there's sure. we have 87 of them, right? I have clients who have 50 properties and literally all 50 properties are completely unique. They have maybe they're both three bedrooms, but they could have just massive variances for sure in the sense of one's oceanfront, one's not, et cetera. So it always seems like that's the challenge. How do you possibly create comp sets for 3,000 <laughs> listings? Is that something manually or automatically, or how does that work? Um, great question. You want to come up with, we have a, a pricing strategy for each, each location, each destination. In some destinations, we could have what's called yielding maps, which is more booking window related, where the price mm. goes up and down based on occupancy, booking windows. There's also market-based pricing, which is very similar to your beyond pricing, your wheelhouse, your price labs you can use in markets. And then you do have what's comp set pricing where you can price with your competitor and look at what, you know, you can price at their rate, above their rate, mid rate, depending on how you price your price in the marketplace. But all three, you got to figure out what's right for your market because you, you're absolutely right. You have different uniqueness with each market and each unit type, um, understanding how you price and then how you're going to, what pricing tool you're going to use. And then, you know, what type of pricing strategy you come up with. So uh, for example, 
Some of our pricing strategies are more of like shadow pricing. Okay, I'm going to shadow price, which really means when you can forecast your demand with more certainty. Now, in this type of economy, you're not going to use shadow pricing that much. You're confident in the market's behavior and you set your strategy to follow pretty much the competition. You know, that's one price strategy. And then you have what we call rational pricing, where there's uncertainty in your marketplace. You have shorter booking windows, sticking to price base fluctuating too frequently. So you have to understand your fluctuations and then how do you stick to price. And thirdly, you have a lot of decoy pricing going on where you're pricing like the restaurant revenue management, where on a menu you have the hamburger and you want the middle hamburger picked and you put it at the right price in the middle. So, you know, along with your pricing tools, you have to have, and there's some more different pricing strategies, but along with your pricing tools, you have to have really good, strong pricing strategy on those pricing tools to make sure you're priced accordingly in the marketplace. I was going to say, I love all the terminology, but to a couple of points on that, Tom. So one, could you define the difference between revenue management and dynamic pricing? And then in addition to that, you mentioned that things have advanced in the vacation rental market over the last, let's say, three to five years. Why do you think that is? I've been hearing dynamic pricing or revenue management for my 15 plus years in this industry, probably starting with Escapia. I think those were the first guys that were starting to talk about it. But what happened in the last three to five years that really started to change things? Sure. There's got to be really, when it comes to revenue management, and these are somewhat older principles, but there's got to be four conditions to be met for revenue management to be relevant, okay? Okay. You have to have constrained demand. You have to have a perishable product. And you have to have a variety of price points for that same supply. And then lastly, you have to have some ability to predict the the demand in the marketplace. Where the dynamic pricing comes in is there's predictability factors and they're going out to data consistently with algorithms based on pricing to come up with the best price based on your amenities, based on your location, your bedroom type, et cetera, to come up with you on a particular price. The industry, again, going back to hotels, hotels really didn't have a lot of dynamic pricing tools. And that's changed and evolved where pretty much they all have some type of proprietary pricing tool now. Same with vacation rentals where there's these pricing tools that can give you an edge, but you still have to really take time to evaluate your base rates, your max rates, evaluate your season's base rates, evaluate discounting percentages. Is the dynamic pricing just going to price you at the comp set or below? You've got to really spend a lot of time with these pricing tools to make sure they're really effective. In a up economy, which we've experienced 21, 22, you could really almost because supply demand was outweighing supply. So you could really make mistakes. You could actually, the system would maybe overprice you, but for some reason, that customer, because there's so limited supply, would buy at a rate that's probably not a good fit based on a SWOT analysis on a property, what the pricing point should be, but they bought it anyway because supply was so high. 
or excuse me, supply was, was demand was so high. So in today's world, it's it takes a because of the last two years, the, the pricing tools were very effective. But in today's economy in 2023 and future, you really have to be dialed into these tools to be really effective. I hope that answered your question. It does. So it's no longer, and maybe we got away with it for a few years because to your point, the demand was so high. It's no longer a set it and forget it. You're not just putting in some algorithms and letting that dynamic pricing run. You've really got to have someone on your team who understands revenue management and is actively navigating what that means on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it goes back to your dynamic pricing is only going to get you so far. You still have to have a pricing strategy. What do you, how do you really want to, yeah, that's fine. But how are they pricing me? Are they pricing me mid or they price me like we talked about with more rational or how are they going to price you in the marketplace to make sure you're going to get booked at the highest rate possible is important with those tools. Having with the pricing tools, having an overall one base rate might not make sense where you're you're having seasonal base rates instead. There's things you can do with those pricing tools to be more effective. Again, maybe prior, because not to sound redundant, but because you had so much demand, you you could get away with some maybe I want to call them mistakes, but maybe not a not a pricing strategy, but just having it out there. Today, again, there's a lot of different property management companies that are getting bigger that are in each of these marketplaces. We know Vacasa has their own proprietary pricing tools. Other people are pricing tools. So how do you stay and make sure you're getting your fair share or your market share or more in the marketplace? Actually, I'm speaking. Sorry, Conrad. I feel like the early days of dynamic pricing was essentially dynamic discounting, right? If you look at some of the earliest iterations, that's all they did. I remember our first couple of conversations, I'm like, oh, that's great. And they're like, oh, so as the calendar gets closer, it'll start discounting. I'm like, okay, what about when it needs to go up? And they're like, yeah, that's in the next iteration. I'm like, this is dynamic discounting. This is dynamic pricing. But it's coming coming a really long way. But you're spot on, Tom. And we've talked about this a lot, right? Especially from the operators or the hosts that started post boom, there's just a lot of fundamentals that, that the last two years, a lot of people did not even think about just yeah. keep running the price up and it was working. And now you look and go, no chance that's going to work. And if you didn't have some strategy or you don't have some strategy, a real strategy in mind, then, then the other fear for these folks is then they become the ones racing to the bottom to drive occupancy. Absolutely. And the last thing you want to do the goal is, you know, the goal of, really the goal in pricing, if you're pricing right, to be honest with you, is pricing your rate up and not pricing it down. You understand what I'm saying? In the hotel industry, if you have, because of your booking windows and making sure you're pricing and booking windows, the best is to keep your price up and you can price at the highest rate one day out, two days out. When the industry doesn't work that way. But my question to, when I had a big revenue team and I have a couple of revenue managers now is my question to them was, were you at the right price point 90, 120 days ago? Why do we have to drop so far 14, 21 days out? Maybe we were priced wrong because there is demand searches for those 90, 120 days out. One thing that I experienced, Tom, just speaking from my end of things, working with a lot of the boots on the ground clients is actually had people who were hesitant to keep raising their prices because they were like, 
there's no way I know this property typically would get $200 a night before this. And they've been doing this for, in some cases, decades. And then they're like, how in the world could I possibly price this at $500 a night? That's just almost feels, they almost felt like bad or that, you know, what I think they knew that was that the value of the property wasn't really that. It was just this temporary thing that we were in and it comes back. But I guess that dovetails in my question. It was something we had in our notes here where it feels like a lot of the time what I see is the homeowner will be dictating this to the property manager. This is a common scenario where the homeowner certainly has a certain opinion or take or feeling on how the revenue should be managed, how the pricing should be, or, hey, I don't want to run any discounts. That's a common thing I see as well. What's your thoughts on that? Does you, Do you have to take input from the actual homeowner underneath the franchisee, or is it just, nope, we're controlling the rates in the calendar? Or what's your perspective on that? Yeah, we're very, Conrad, we're very transparent when it comes to homeowner relationships. I feel like giving them as much information as possible to make the right decision for them I feel that spending 10 to 15 minutes on a Zoom call with an owner, explaining to them where the market is right now, why we have to price at this price point, what's the competition pricing at, and really explaining to them and then showing them data to support that goes a long way. Anytime when I get a call where an owner says, or a property manager emails me or calls me and says, Hey, the owner wants these rates X or something like that. And now take a deep breath (laughs) and then I'll actually say, Hey, let's get on a call because the last thing we want to do is owners dictating the pricing and it's their home. So they can do what they want. So you have to understand and relate to them too. But where they're going to maybe go with a rate could cost them in revenue. So it's our opportunity to be good property managers for these owners is to really tell them the whys of why we think it's this is too high. So really trying to explain to them. Uh, we also do webinars with different destinations quarterly. So we go over the market and really talk to them about their market. How is it trending? How is it pacing? Some markets are down. We anticipate the market being slower than last year over the summer. So it alleviates a lot of the calls you're going to get when they say, hey, why was my rate X this year and compared to what it was last year? I still got filled, which in some markets, you're maybe lucky you didn't even get an occupancy out of them on dates. It's just really that education with these owners. Yeah, for sure. Tom, what are you seeing from the data right now as far as the rest of this year? If you had to pull out that crystal ball and start to look at the second half of this year, and I know this is a generalized statement asking about the industry as a whole, and each market's going to be a little bit individual, but if you had to paint with some broad strokes, what do you see for the rest of this year for managers? I think it's some rocky roads ahead. And again, I don't want to generalize it just because every market is different. So there might be some listeners today that might be in a market that's still doing well. You know, it could be some urban, depending on the market, they still might be successful in that market. But we do know if we do know that 2021 grew 20% in demand percent change to 2020, of course, and then 2021 two grew like 21%. So we're anticipating in some markets, a small growth and some markets, a downturn where overall, depending on the market, there might be a percent change of fluctuating between negative 10 and positive five to 6%. 
We think occupancy overall last year in the U.S., the market was around 58% occupancy. So I'm kind of on a whole, we think that's going to go down to around a 56% to 55%. We think ADR might be a little up year over year, but not with inflation. So we think, again, RevPAR is going to be down overall close to 4 to 6% on some markets. And then that fluctuation may be up 4 to 6 somewhere around there in other markets. That's significant for planning, for sure. And, and I wonder if a lot of these managers, and probably more to the point of Conrad's discussion, a lot of these homeowners have started to get their head around how significant that change could be for 2023. It could be. So you really have to you really have to be really managing your windows, your 90, 90 day, 120 day pricing, making sure, you know, your strategies in place and tune to try to get those bookings, to try to get that search demand that's out there for those bookings, try to get them at that time. And then you get sm- go, going into your booking windows, 90, 60, 30. How do you price point those to make sure? You're getting that. And for homeowners, nine out of 10 times, I don't know if you guys experience the same thing. They're always going to talk occupancy before rate. Why am I not filled this summer? My calendar is not full yet. They usually don't say my rate was down 5%, 10%. It's just strategy has to be in place, you know, understanding the homeowners and understanding what their wishes are, et cetera. How do they, how do you still compete in each marketplace to make sure and ensure you get the highest occupancy possible. Yeah, really focusing on that year-to-date number. Listen, we can wrestle about some occupancy or some rate, but what we're here to deliver is the money in the bank at the year. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, that rev par is the key. You know what I mean? You know, what's what they're getting in revenue. Yeah, for sure. Tom, for some of the managers out there that are trying to understand the revenue management side a little bit more, or maybe even more to the point, understand the economic changes that could be ahead of us, what are the sources that you go to or that you recommend for managers to stay on top of this information? Sure. You have a lot of different tools you could use. You you have key data that has some really good tools there you can view. You have transparent that you can see trends pretty closely. You have some other some other pretty good economic forecasts with skills and some skill and some other tools that are out there that you can stay ahead of. Air DNA is really good. They also Air DNA has some really good blogs out there on economic forecasts, forecasting what they're seeing trend wise because they're really they're going to search. They're going to see all. They'll be able to see trends pretty quickly based on how many locations they have, et cetera. So all those will play a pivotal role in how you evaluate the economy. And then really it's very market driven, like we talked about, understanding your market, looking at your pace report, pace year over year. You can get that in many ways. You can even get it from your DNA. You can get it from key data. Um, you can get it from other tools too. Really understanding how you're pacing this year, how you're pacing the, this year, summertime, if it's your peak season, how you're pacing currently to last year. Understanding your booking window might be shrinking, like we talked about. Maybe we talked about this. I'm sorry, we talked about a lot. But we know that last year, 33% of the bookings were 14 days and under in the U.S. last uh-huh. year. Each market is different now. 
but we can understand that as a baseline. So understand you're going to get a lot potentially, and you got to figure out your booking window potential percentage wise in each market, but overall 33% were 14 days and under, which is a pretty high amount. Understand that and how you price accordingly and how you're going to dictate what's happening. Looking at your pace day, daily to understand what was your seven day, or even if you don't have time to do that, looking at a seven day pickup for the market is really good to see how you're picking up seven day to give you good signals on how pace is going to be. So if your seven day pickup is low, normally it would be higher on seven day pickup on certain dates, then there's a concern there. So you might have to react. Are you seeing that booking window shrink or grow right now from that 14 last year? It's pretty similar. Really, we have to get the summer months to really, because that 33% was primarily in the summer months. We're not there yet, Mm -hmm. but understand that we're seeing some of the same trends as we saw. March was a good, a good barometer for that spring break and other things over those dates. We did see a lot of short-term bookings based on market, of course. So understanding that. But again, the goal is you don't want to be really dropping your rates significantly. Then you're probably way, you probably priced really wrong 365 and under. You really want those price drops within 14 or price raises. Price raises would be great, but even your price drops really should be in the three, four, five percent range, you shouldn't be dropping seven, 10 days out, 20, 30 percent. You know what I mean? It's got to be really strategic. If you're dropping that much, then you really have to over you have to look at your overall strategy, 365 and minus. I have one more question, Tom. It wasn't on the outline. It's just something that's come up many times. I guess I'm curious your perspective on it. We have a lot of clients where weekends, oh, this is the comment I get from the marketing side. Weekends are crushing it. We're great. We're awesome. No one wants to come here during the midweek. There's a lot of markets that I've worked in over the years that kind of had this characteristic, especially on the shoulder season, right? During summer in some markets, they can enforce longer stays and they get that. And then of course, during shoulder, it's no one wants to come here during the week. How extreme of a price like like laddering technique do you think is appropriate in a market like that? Where it's Excellent question. So every market is different. Some markets we have percent wise, so we can look at price variances of actual bookings from weekday to weekend. So some price variances are 10%, 20%, some are 40%. It just depends on the marketplace, but making sure if you're setting up base pricing making sure your base pricing variance is with the percent wise from weekday to weekend is with the same trend you're seeing on your bookings. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's it, one of those so things if it's where it's not, I, you're going to have to regroup yeah. and strategize differently. Yeah. It's always one of those things where I think they, they think, Oh, if we could just push them different buttons on the marketing side, we can turn the tide on that. And my experience has always been like, there's a reason no one wants to come here during the week. It's just like, it's a behavioral sure. thing. Yeah, so absolutely. And then you have your length to stay factors in there. If you're in a high market, you're trying to get one or two shoulder dates. Can you get two? Can you get three? So if you're in a high demand weekend market, can you get those shoulder dates a Thursday or a Sunday or even a Wednesday or a Monday so you can stay through? So that's the goal. <clears throat> so depending on your market, making sure you might have good length to stay pricing on your Thursday through Sunday or Monday. And then, you know, you might be priced like that length to stay 
120 days out and then you may be dropping as you go forward. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's useful. Tom, what do you see as the potential of the Casago franchisees? You mentioned 3,000 today. Everyone on this discussion recognizes that the goal is to just continue to grow Casago and add more units. 3,000 is significant. It's a large impact in the industry. As we continue to go forward, what impact can we have on the individual markets and then collectively as an industry with the franchisees and the efforts that you and your team are putting behind revenue management? Sure. Again, like we talked about, if you go in so in transparent, you can really dive into each location management companies. Okay. In the past two years, there's been a lot of acquisitions with management companies. So in each of my our markets, we've seen a big change where there's so many more management companies today than there was in marketplaces than there was two to three years ago. Mm -hmm. So understanding those property management companies that are that have the resources, that have revenue management, that has the all the good pricing tools, et cetera. And if you're a medium size or smaller size property management company that's unique to that area, individualized, et cetera, having that support today when it comes to not only all the tools that Casago gives to our franchises, but having that revenue support today, understanding that your competition is doing a lot of stuff when it comes to revenue management. We know based on these markets that Vacasa is in a lot of these markets and some of these other larger management companies are. So what we try to do is really give really good franchise support when it comes to revenue to make sure they're outperforming the marketplace. If that's a market analysis on the entire market for them, working with them directly, making sure we do a really strong kickoff meeting. We have bi-weekly revenue franchise meetings. We review monthly performance, not only year over year, but to the competition. Because this industry, let's face it, look what happened to the record industry. They didn't go with the times and basically non-existent today. Same with, like we talked about earlier with hotels, 20, 15 years ago, the front desk clerk was doing the revenue management. Today, that's unheard of. So getting that support from a revenue structure to some of these, these new franchises and opportunity franchises goes a long ways for them to be successful in the marketplace and actually be leaders in their marketplace. That's it. The leader side, for sure. Especially when you think about some of the sizes, it gives these smaller managers that might be Casago franchisees the ability to battle against these larger managers that might have more resources to your point. They might be newer and lack some of the experience, but they've got such a strong team behind them that's helping guide them that they can jump in and join that revenue management very quickly. We've started to see that. We've had a number of discussions with Tom to understand our pricing in the Casago Del Mar area, both Delaware as well as Maryland, Ocean City, trying to understand how to set base rates, but then understanding as you collect that data, what do we do next? And it comes down to what Tom was saying is it's, you've got to develop a strategy around that. And the strategy's got to be different 
for the unit types. It's got to be different for the market. It's got to be different for the different locations within that market. So it's a pretty complicated discussion. And I know that we definitely appreciate having you on the team and the revenue management side of things that Casaga brings. So we appreciate it, Tom. Sure. Ab- absolutely. Our franchise, we have some amazing franchise property managers that are so good. I learned so much from them. The one thing we do find out really, because revenue management is so new, it's it's so new to them that they might lack the experience. With myself, thank God I have 20 years of experience where they have the experience in owner relations and other areas where they're great in that I don't have that experience, of course, but that's what we can bring to the table, that experience to help them and support them when it comes to strategy and pricing. Maybe that's a good place for us to wrap it up, Tom. I always like to try to end these discussions with some sort of action item for any of the listeners that are, have made it this far. And thank you for listening all the way. But what do you, what would you suggest? Because this is such a new concept for this industry and we are all still learning it, especially newer managers that either are new to the market or have lacked the resources to, on their team to, to manage some of this. What do you think is the sort of low-hanging fruit? What, are the, what would you suggest one, two, three things that they should be focused on a regular basis? Sure. The basic is really looking at knowing what the rates were last year to this year, knowing what the revenues were this year to last year, looking at some type of pace report that gives them an idea. Get some type of comparison with rates. Just don't say, hey, I think the rate should be here just from my experience, et cetera. Because the markets are ever changing. So you don't want to just come up with some type of rate. You need to be really open-minded when it comes to pricing and strategies because it is changing. But have some type of strategy out there. And then if you want to go to the next level using the different pricing tools to come up with a strategy, that's even better. But And I would also say read the blogs that are out there. Do you know There's some good revenue management training that's out there. There's videos. Transparent has a great uh, revenue management training program they do for free that gives you videos oh, on that's um, great. Uh, modules on everything that's really good. Just take your first step in. It can be overwhelming because it's new and pricing is something that you have to learn. I would say those are the tools in the process that I would do if I was just starting out in this. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, phenomenal. I think that's a fantastic overview, Tom. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing all these thoughts with people. And this is one of those areas that that I've always viewed as like, it's a little bit complicated. You definitely need to know what you're doing. And you can tell the difference between an amateur and a professional in this area. (laughs) Some things you can get away with it, right? You can learn as you go and put the airplane together as you're headed down. I don't think this is one of those areas. So the fact you guys are giving that support is fantastic. Anything else, Adam or Scott, that we should tie in here before we put a bow on this one? Just begging for reviews. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, I'm eager to see how you can leverage revenue management into a review. So, Adam, I think you're ready for that, right? So why don't you go ahead? <laughs> yeah, we are in review management, and we would love to manage some more <laughs> reviews, so please send them our way. <laughs> no, phenomenal. Thank you, gentlemen, for doing the review bag. And I don't have to do it every week now. So that's fantastic. Really appreciate your time, Tom. This was Absolutely. fantastic. If anyone has any ideas or feedback, we're always open to those. And we do appreciate to, when you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Thank you so much. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks, guys.